Welcome to Can We Chat. I'm Natalie. I'm Gloria. I'm Yolanda. And I'm Debbie. Today, we are going to discuss Black Lives Matter. Our goal is to have a conversation about what is Black Lives Matter and what isn't it? And why does the phrase seem to be so polarizing? We want you to form your own opinions and hopefully something we say or share will encourage you to read more about Black Lives Matter. And with that additional knowledge, you can decide where you are with regard to Black Lives Matter. Let me start with a little background. Where did the phrase Black Lives Matter come from? In July 2013, after the acquittal of George Zimmerman for killing Trayvon Martin, Alicia Garza, a Black activist, wrote a love letter she posted on Facebook called A Love Letter to Black People. It was her way to affirm Black people and encourage them not to lose hope. Black Lives Matter actually became a movement a year later when Darren Wilson, a police officer, killed Michael Brown in Ferguson. Her colleague, Patricia Cullors, also a civil rights activist, created the hashtag and Opal Tomate, an immigration rights activist, set up the social media platform. Black Lives Matter actually became a movement a year later when Darren Wilson, a police officer, killed Michael Brown in Ferguson. According to a Pew Research report last month, 29% of adults in the U.S. strongly support Black Lives Matter, down from 38% in June. 55% of adults in the United States express some support for Black Lives Matter, but that's down from 67% in June after the killing of George Floyd. Let's begin. Gloria, what is Black Lives Matter and what does it mean to you? One point to follow up on your comment about the Pew Research results, Natalie, the support for the Black Lives Matter movement remains particularly widespread among Black Americans at 87%. It's hard to sustain momentum when there are so many other things happening in your life. A pandemic, unemployment, difficulty in providing for your family. But to your question, what does it mean to me? It means we Black people want to eliminate systems of inequality that affects our communities, such as differences in education, environmental racism, healthcare, housing, and the criminal justice system. When I was preparing this, I thought about a point made in our last podcast, and that is voting is our power. Garza's love letter to the Black community followed Zimmerman's acquittal, and he was acquitted because Florida has a stand-your-ground law. It exists in other states too, 35 as a matter of fact. If you feel you're being threatened, you can defend yourself. One of the reasons there's outrage when a Black person is killed is because no one is ever held accountable. It's considered justified within the law. You hear attorneys general speak about what can be proven. We should use our power to work to get the laws changed. Now to the, go to the question you posed, Natalie. I've learned that Black Lives Matter is a decentralized movement focused on serving the community in areas based on their needs. Alicia Garza, as you mentioned, is one of the organizers, and she said in a Vanity Fair interview that Black Lives Matter is about outrage in the Black community over environmental racism, which is the concentration of polluting industries not disposing of toxic chemicals correctly. They just bury them primarily in poor and minority communities. 
It's about gentrification, where those who have lived in the community lose their properties because of rising higher taxes and other reasons, and developers move in and build expensive houses that former members of the community cannot afford. There's a lack of affordable housing and also eliminating police brutality. Garza says Black Lives Matter is about building power in the Black community. Gloria, excellent description of what Black Lives Matter is. I read a description and actually was in Wikipedia that according to a professor of politics, Diva Woodley at New School of Social in New York, didn't know that even existed. It's an umbrella organization that consists of a coalition of movement organizations across the nation. Also, there's a 2016 published platform for the movement, a vision for black lives, policy demands for black power, freedom and justice. Number one was in the war on black people. Number two was reparation for past and continuing harm. Number three was divesting from the institution that criminalize, cage, and harm Black people while investing in the education, health, and safety of Black people. Number four, economic justice for all and a reconstruction of the economy to ensure our communities have collective ownership, not merely access. Number five, community control of the laws, institution, and policies that most impact us. And number six, independent Black political power and Black self-determination in all areas of society. You know, I had to think about what Black Lives Matter means to me. And unfortunately, the meaning of Black Lives Matter brings up a lot of emotion in me that includes sadness, anger, frustration, and despair. See, I can remember driving to work in 2013 and I heard the news report that George Zimmerman is acquitted of killing Trayvon Martin. They actually played a tape of Mr. Zimmerman contacting 911 and relaying the situation. And the dispatcher clearly stated to him not to pursue the individual, but he did. And he was acquitted based on self-defense. I have to admit, I cried. I'm over 60 years old and I still cry every time an individual dies in a manner, in such a manner. Crying is just so exhausting. You think about it. A 17 year old shot three people in a Black Lives Matter protest in Wisconsin. Or a man travels to El Paso to kill 23 and injure 23 Hispanic and he's saying he's not guilty. The concept of Black Lives Matter is to address our humanity. Understand that all lives matter and anyone that is being threatened or oppressed goes against how we think of ourselves. Thank you, Yolanda. That was, that was so beautifully stated and, and the emotion there is, is, is certainly something that I can't understand as, as a white person, what black lives matter means. It's been something, honestly, I've had to, to research. I, 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 I too remember hearing that George Zimmerman was acquitted killing Trayvon Martin. I remember hearing the 911 
tapes, I remember being being outraged because this was a this was a 17 year old child um, that was murdered. But that impact lands differently on me, and so I really appreciate your sharing. When I think about it, when I think about Black Lives Matter, I think of it as a statement, and it's a statement that that I support and stand behind. We, we, all of us recently had the opportunity to listen to a panel discussion that had um, a couple of the key organizers of Black Lives Matter Houston discussing what the organization is. And, and while, I've, while I've been a, support, a supporter of the statement, I really haven't known that much about, about the organization. And um, one of the things that we heard, honestly, was um, Black Lives Matter Houston is is three things. It's a simple declarative statement, which I which I liked. I was like, that's that's kind of how I've thought about it. Um, it's an organization that that came into existence back in 2013. We've talked about that here, and then it's a movement and not a moment in time. And and the movement part of it, they really talked about the decentralization of the various organizations that exist across the country, and that, that each organization in each city or, or community is, is based upon community organization and around the needs of the community. And so getting in and understanding what's needed in any given community is where they can, one way, one place where uh, they can have a real impact. Talking about neighborhoods where Superfund sites are at or where there's toxic chemical plants and businesses operating. And these are traditionally and historically areas where, where Black people live, where Hispanic people live, where where disadvantaged people live. And then here in Houston, uh, we had Harvey and Harvey absolutely devastated um, some of those communities, many of those communities. And how Black Lives Matter was about getting in and really assisting there, being a part of, being a part of mutual aid, providing mutual aid, working with people on what the citizens needed and not just providing charity. And so those things really resonated uh, with me. And so when I, when I think about Black Lives Matter, I remember that panel discussion and those comments that, that, that we heard and, and were able to learn about the overall organization and the movement. So thank you, Debbie. Actually, you know, I didn't know much about Black Lives Matter before this podcast. I've done some research and I've learned that it really is about a modern day civil rights movement. Uh, It's different from the 1960s when we had civil rights leaders such as Martin Luther King Jr. uh, and Malcolm X, to name uh, just a couple. It's more decentralized and tailored for individual communities, as Debbie indicated. Black Lives Matter is also advocating for rights of working people and supporting gender and sexual equality. So let's let's shift gears a little. Uh, Let's talk about what isn't Black Lives Matter. So let's go ahead and start with Yolanda. I did my homework too. And there was an article by HuffPost um, titled The Seven Myths of Black Lives Matter. And I thought this would be a good point to just look at a couple of those myths and start the conversation. One of the myths says it's disorganized. Some say it lacks leadership or clear agenda. Uh, The general movement is the decentralized grassroots effort that spans region, demographics, and medium. And when it comes to the fight of civil rights, older generations were probably more accustomed to seeing it unfold a certain way. A national or regional leader would serve as the spokesperson, organize the protests, sit-ins, and whatever other methods of demonstration 
and lead the charge. But it's interesting in this article, they talk about it being more of a sophisticated approach. It's understanding the nuance and regional differences. It's Black Lives Matter, on the other hand, exists in pockets across the country. So to say it's disorganized? I, again, from the recent uh, Vanity Fair article that Alicia Garza, she said that Black Lives Matter is probably the largest protest movement in the world. And it does span other countries. And Debbie, you made the point in listening to our local leaders that they are a decentralized organization. And in addition to working with the community to understand their needs, they actually go before city council to lobby to get those needs met. And one of the things I mentioned earlier was, and you did too, Debbie, the uh, toxic sites. Locally, probably several months ago, there were several communities that had actually band together to get legislators to help them get the sites cleaned up so that people would not continue to suffer from illnesses such as asthma and cancer. That is one of the things that the decentralization of Black Lives Matter allows them to do by listening to their citizens that they aim to support. So, so I think that maybe, maybe the truth is, is that this is a new model that's needed for today, right? The old model has been about centralization and hierarchy, but, but this is a new model. It's approaching, it's approaching a problem in justice that's been around for a very, very long time in a new and innovative way. And so thinking about this differently is really perhaps what we need. Another one of the myths is it's pro-violence. And you know, Yolanda, that's something that several people have mentioned to me when I brought up the statement Black Lives Matter. I've had people tell me that they believe Black Lives Matter incites violence and that is responsible for the rioting that we saw over the last few months. But I think it's important to understand that 93% of the 10,000 plus 10,000 plus racial injustice protests in the United States were peaceful. Some of the violence was stoked by white supremacists and other extremist groups. Black Lives Matter is about protesting systemic racism and the violence against Black Americans. That's what it is. You know, I remember, again, Debbie, to go back to the, uh, the Houston panel that was speaking about various topics. One of the leaders said, in discussing Black Lives Matter makes people uncomfortable. And his point was, we're always uncomfortable. But to the point about protests, it's one of the rights guaranteed by the First Amendment of the Constitution. So when the topic makes you uncomfortable, it's something that says it's available to everybody. Because some of us may not agree with the focus of the protests, doesn't justify classifying them as riots. Sometimes the rioting is strategic, just as Natalie mentioned can be stoked by white supremacists. But when you have larger groups of people, it's difficult to find out who's actually starting the riots. Two people were killed and a medic wounded by a white teenager with a semi-automatic rifle. Another myth, anti-police. I think this is one of the biggest controversies right now. I'm sure using words like defunding the police probably supports the thought they are anti-police, but Defunding isn't about abolishing law enforcement. According to Richard M. Cooper, a clinical assistant professor in Widener University, it is to look at how police departments have been funded 
to do things they shouldn't necessarily have to do anyway and don't necessarily do well. That would be better met by other groups who've been trained differently and provide better resources. From interviews of Alicia Garza and two of the local Black Lives Matter leaders, their focus is not to get rid of police, but to restructure or reimagine a different system that would serve the community. Black men and women are disproportionately stopped, arrested, and killed by police. Many of these instances of violence occur following 911 calls for fairly routine issues. Garza and some of the other BLM organizers emphasize that policing should be reimagined to serve the community. Every request for assistance doesn't need to be responded by someone with a gun or tanks. One of the local Black Lives leaders mentioned that if communities are well served, they have decent housing, they have they don't have food deserts. When their needs are met, you don't need as many police officers. One city that did restructure their police department is Camden, New Jersey. There's an article in, by Politico that describes the work that went through how Camden officials transferred policing in a city where the murder rate was once on par with Honduras. Camden is one rare and complicated success story, a city that really did manage to overhaul its police force and change how it operated. And I think it's important, Gloria, that what you're talking about there is, is culture change, right? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a large, complex organization, and, um, and it's about changing the culture is what they really did. In fact, in that article, the former New Jersey governor, Chris Christie, is quoted as saying, you had to change the underlying principles of the way police officers were being trained and taught and the culture in the department. The most effective way to do that was to start over. So essentially, not, not defunding the police to get rid of them, but instead to, to reimagine what would work and to, and to build that organization. And, and you mentioned, you know, Camden is an example. The work there is, is, still, is still going on, but they've made many good strides. And, and I think they're, you know, there's something, they're, they're an organization that um, many are looking to right now as a best practice. And if I could just add one thing, I think that after the killing of George Floyd and all of us watching that horrible situation, the frustration of the city in wanting to see change is where that defund the police came from. And you can almost understand, having normally been a peaceful city, to see this happen, for the world to see. You know, that was the first thing that came to their mind. And just as we sometimes say, people object to uh, use of terms like privilege, defund the police has its own negative connotation that we have a difficult time getting past the terminology and getting to a point of solution. I think when we have those bad situations happen, like George Floyd, I think it reassures the community when they see the policemen marching with protesters. I think it helps the community to know that yes, it's tragic, but we as a community are strong because we're together. I have one more myth I'd like to bring to you. It's the one that says it's racist. Some said that by prioritizing Black lives is a form of reverse racism. 
First of all, the phrase Black Lives Matter is not meant to be divisive. I really believe that when we think of racism, we're basically saying there's a hierarchy there and one group is better than the other and we should do more for the better group than we do for the one that's not. Black Lives Matter, a lot of what they've done today has been to address the oppressed and the injustice. And one of the things that I, that I read, Yolanda, one of the things that's emphasized is that the founders uh, and the movement is never about Black Lives Matter more, more than. They want to matter as much as, as much as everyone else. And I think that's what people really fundamentally misunderstand. You know, I've also heard people say, well, blue lives matter. Well, you know, to, to mention the police, but you know, blue, there's no such thing as a blue life. You know, that is a police officer is a profession. It is a job. And that's what I have tried to explain to people. And I imagine anyway, that some people that are protesting this or do not like the words or the slogan, Black Lives Matter, they may bring this up to Debbie or myself, but I, I don't know if any of the people that don't agree bring that up to you or Gloria. I wonder about that, actually. It's funny that you brought that up is because also in that article, they talk about racism needing to be fixed by Black Lives Matter. And think about it. A person that is by the definition of racist how do you fix them as another individual? I can't fix you or my neighbor or anybody if they believe a way, a certain way in which they've created their own biases and the way in which they think. It's the education. It's the reason why we're doing the chats. It's putting the data out there so you can think and own it how you think. And it's up it's incumbent on each of us as individuals to, to do, you know, to do our own digging, to, to read. There's many, many books that's out there that is available to us. It's not necessarily easy reading. Um, it's not necessarily easy conversations to have, but I've taken it upon myself to, to, to become more educated and to seek to understand perspectives other than mine. And, and, that's, and that's kind of what we've all got to do with, with respect to those of us who may, for, for whom Black Lives Matter may not be an immediate positive thought. We've got we've to look into it a little bit more and understand what, it, what it's really all about and, and what the organization is seeking to do. And, and if justice for all is something that we really believe in, then it's important to understand the work of that organization. So we touched a little bit on it, but let me go ahead and just ask the question outright. You know, so why, why do you think the phrase seems to be so polarizing? I do want to mention, though, one of the bosses that we all worked for, um, a three-star Marine general, he said, you see the world from where you sit. And I think that that is probably um, a very good 
perspective or summary. And I guess the challenge for us is to try to see the world from another perspective. But Gloria, why do you think the phrase is so polarizing? I think it's because one of the reasons I think that's true is because we think that black people are asking for something more than others. When in fact, they're really asking to be treated with dignity and equitably and not have to worry about their lives going about doing everyday normal tasks, driving a car, going to the park, being in the supermarket. So I, I think it's something that the individual who thinks it's polarizing, it's sort of like what we said before, it's not upon black people to make you comfortable with the statement that black lives matter. You need to examine yourself and find out why you believe that. There are so many things in history, you know, we talked about housing, the things that were systemically put in place to prevent black people from arriving at the level and achieving the wealth that white people have achieved. So now they're asking for just to be considered the same when many lives are being taken. Yolanda, what do you think? I think I'm gonna expand upon what Gloria just said. I think people think along the lines of how does it impact me? I think that when allegations of oppression or injustice are discussed, you hear words like that person did not work hard enough like me, or they deserve what they got. If they had only done this or that, or maybe that is what happens to them or the innocence of, I did not know what happened. And then you have to ask yourself, but why did it resonate with you that day? What happened that made you so much more aware that day? This is a discussion of 400 years. So I can't help but wonder if we are believers of the hierarchy of race, who's at the top and who's at the bottom, or are we believers of humanity for all? If Black lives matter, all lives matter. Why aren't we having the conversation on humanity instead of justifying how we feel about one movement versus the other and just doing the right thing? So th thank you to both uh, Gloria and Yolanda for that. You know, you, br I, you brought up the all lives matter statement, Yolanda. And one of my very first experiences, I believe it was in 2015, um, I was actually uh, in a church setting. Black Lives Matter was brought up from the pulpit that, that, that the white pastor said, I've, this was when a number of, of things were going on in the country and, and, um, and there was concern. And, and he said, I've, I've checked in with people that I know that are in Black Lives Matter movement and, and, and to get a sense from them on what can we do as a white community to be allies. And people sitting next to me in, in, in the church, I heard, I heard them say, well, all lives matter. And honestly, I think that was the first time I heard that, that phrase. And these people were white. And I instantly knew that statement, even though it was the first time I had heard it, was a statement of opposition, a statement that was like, well, then that means something is being taken away from me. And so really start, I started kind of, kind of wondering and, and exploring and, and, and actually that led to, to, to a lot of work within the, in the context of, of our church and our, our denomination. 
So, you know, we've, we've had a lot of really good conversation, I think, and hopefully some of what we said resonates with some of our listeners. I do want to ask one more question and, you know, what is the one thing you would like to leave with our listeners? The one thing to leave with our listeners is that we cannot stop pushing for equity and change. And again, I've, I've quoted Alicia Garza a lot during this conversation because I think she's really brilliant. But she said, she always adds after her interviews that hashtags don't make changes, people do. So, so one thing I would just want to leave our listeners with is to, is to challenge yourself to seek out other information sources than, than where you normally get your information and, and to look at to look at what's being written about, about all of these issues um, with, with respect to the things that, that Black Lives Matter, the justice, uh, the changes that they are pursuing. Let's look at let's look at let's look at all these issues from a from a different perspective and then and then come up with your own and see where you see value and see what you what's important to you and what you can stand behind and what things you still have questions about and then seek out answers to those questions. Our future is in the legacy we leave our children. Who are we? The Black Lives Matter is a national movement to bring attention to and address the oppressed. The organizations, although decentralized, are about having the right laws and policies for the communities, education for all, assisting the forgotten communities to have a better life, addressing the forgotten communities' needs, like in a hurricane or another disaster. It's about justice for all. This is just a new phase of what our history tells us. And you know you've learned about civil rights. The rights are still being worked. You know, in some of the efforts before we wrap up, Gloria, if possible, would you please share a little bit on what you learned about some legislative changes that the Black Lives Matter movement is pursuing, uh, in particular, the BREATHE Act? If they have put together legislation, and I'm not sure of its trajectory, but I do have a summary of what they are including. And they're including in one section about divesting federal resources from incarceration and policing and ending criminal legal systems harms. In section two, the focus is investing in new approaches to community safety, utilizing funding incentives. Section three is about allocating new money to build healthy, sustainable, and equitable communities for all people. And section four is holding officials accountable and enhancing self-determination of black communities. Thank you. I'd like to encourage our listeners to learn more about the Black Lives Matter movement. I think what Yolanda said about our legacy, the legacy that we leave our children, you know, try having a conversation uh, with your, you know, teenage children or your older children. Um, Have a conversation with your neighbors, have a conversation with your family. Uh, Maybe each ask everyone to read an article and come together and talk about what is Black Lives Matter. And you may not agree with everything they are addressing, but they are trying to improve Black and people of color communities across the United States. There are 30 chapters in the United States. Get involved where you can and where you want to support. You may also donate on their website. Lastly, 
I want to mention that the three founders of Black Lives Matter, Alicia Garza, Patricia Cullors, and Opal Tomati, were recognized by Times Magazine's top 100 most influential people in the world. They really are making a difference. Join us next time as we discuss how to continue to stand up against social injustice and systemic racism. Thanks for listening.